Welcome back to The Conversation, Season 2. I'm your host, Gina Simeone. The Conversation is a podcast for and about women in business. We're going to be talking about today's hot topics and how women play a role. This podcast is sponsored by Single Throw Marketing, a Google premier partnered digital agency. For marketing that will blow your socks off, check out singlethrow.com to stay ahead of your competitors. Today, we're going to be talking to Lauren Gilchrist, who is from Longfellow Real Estate Partners. She's the managing director of research. She is a very prominent figure in the commercial real estate world in Philadelphia. Today, we're going to talk to her about finding your niche and going after what you deserve, as well as fashion for women in the workplace. Welcome, Lauren. We're so happy to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Tell me a little bit about you and Longfellow. Well, thanks, Gina. So Longfellow is the largest privately held life sciences real estate developer in the United States. Uh, the company was founded in 2009 by Adam Sickle and Jamie Pichel and has grown to you know, that place of being the largest privately, developer in, privately held developer in the last 13 years. So I am fortunate enough to head up our research function, which entails tracking the statistics that drive the capital markets, the leasing markets, and the movement of scientific talent and funding around the United States and actually internationally as well, um, for the purposes of better understanding the market dynamics that underpin Longfellow's investments and operations decisions. So I've been with the firm now for a little over nine months and came from JLL or Jones Lang LaSalle, where I was demanded while well, I was the senior director of research for JLL uh, for six and a half years prior to that. So I am a career long researcher and have been in commercial real estate for about seven years at this point in time, previously from the public sector. Wow. So from what I hear, you're kind of a big deal in the Philadelphia market. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's nice of whomever told you um, that to say so. It always kind of makes me blush, um, you know, because it's one of those things that I, I have heard a couple of times and still don't really quite let, uh, know how to let land. But um, I appreciate the compliment from from whomever said that and from you. Yeah, so I did. I did hear that. And then I did a little research. And, you know, in my findings, turns out, you know, you've got a lot going on for yourself. So congratulations on all of your successes thus far. Thank you. I mean, you know, it's really a privilege to serve the industry and the people of Philadelphia and the employers that I've had the honor to work for and, you know, the boards that I volunteered for. So it's just great to be able to be a service. Yeah, no, it's it's wonderful. And, and thanks for all you do. And especially you are kind of paving the way or helping to pave the way for women in the commercial real estate world. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So, you know, those of you who are not as familiar with commercial real estate uh, may not be aware uh, that it is a business that demographically is dominated by straight white men. Uh, and I love all of them, um, you know, but that does create challenges when you look differently or think differently or act differently than the dominant majority of the successful players in the industry. Um, I once had a broker tell me that commercial real estate was the second oldest industry in the world. I will let your listeners kind of fill in wow. what the oldest industry might be. But effectively, you know, it, 
<laughs> there's demand for humanity to be sheltered, right? Whether that is for home or for work or for play. And, you know, as we've gotten, you know, more sophisticated as a human race, if you will, um, in terms of, you know, our ability to construct more densely um, and more compactly, um, you know, the amount of capital that flows into the space has necessarily grown larger as well. So what it tends to mean is that you get very large companies that are extraordinarily well capitalized, you get very powerful uh, wealthy families involved in the industry and in segments of the industry that have particularly high risk, like brokerage um, and also development, there is a lot of reward for that level of risk. And what that means in terms of who has historically been able to take advantage of the payout that comes from that level of risk is that you get a lot of men involved in the industry because they are sort of socialized, right, to be hunters or socialized um, to be breadwinners. And, you know, women, because of the long history of, you know, women's rights and also kind of women's perceived professional competency, you tend to get fewer um, in the industry at this juncture. So that is changing for the better. And I'm happy to report that there's a significant proportion of Longfellow's workforce specifically that is female. It's almost 50%. Yeah, including two of our five partners um, in the business, which is super exciting. It was very compelling, um, you know, in terms of part of my decision to jump over to the company about nine months ago. So, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, women who make it to higher levels of seniority in organizations are paving the way because the industry has been around for so long in various forms and iterations. And at the same time, women have not been, you know, socialized to work until really call it the last like 100 years. Um, And therefore, you know, we just are a minority when it comes to the composition of the workforce, especially in the transaction side, especially in the development side and kind of the client facing side. Got it. How did you kind of go after what you want? So, you know, you're in this world, you're trying to get what you need, get what you want, but you know, you're a woman and you're kind of building your way up into this industry. Um, how did you decide, you know, to like kind of find your niche and go after what you want? So my journey into commercial real estate was a little bit roundabout, as I mentioned off the jump. I I come from the public sector, actually. Um, I have a master's in um, public policy and management uh, and have a focus on economic development. So I was really lucky to work for a number of groups prior to JOL uh, recruiting me, which was really funny because I, I didn't even know when I started in the business that, you know, to operate a building required more than just flipping the lights on at the beginning of the day. So I spent, you know, a good portion of my first year in the industry really just soaking and poking, which is something that academics sometimes say when they're gathering information, but don't really know what direction they want to go in. They're observing and getting data and thinking about strategy and what the conclusions from that information might be. So early in my time at JOL, I decided that the most important thing in the business was to stay close to the money. So I had a really kind of clear insight about, you know, nine to 12 months into the business where I was trying to figure out what my lane was. 
And I said, well, you do research and how can you stay close to the point of sale and close to where the money is coming in? Because that's where you create value. So what I decided to do was to create such valuable content uh, and insight that, you know, it was necessary to bring me to that point of sale with the clients because I was able to demonstrate that we could make more money as a team for the business when I was close to that point of sale with the information that I had. So sometimes I use the term weaponizing the data and that might be a little bit aggressive to some people, but, you know, from a research perspective, yeah. you know, a lot of people research and things sit on the shelf, but I really believe that especially in applied research, which is what I do, there has to be a purpose for it. And to me, it was like, how can it open doors for me? How can it open doors for the business? And how can that lead toward revenue generating opportunities, right? So yeah. the, the other thing I'll just say, you know, quickly too, was, you know, that also kind of dovetails with being in the room where it happens. So I don't know if anybody, uh, you know, listening watches uh, or watched Hamilton, the musical, but I'm also a yeah. musical theater nerd. And there's a whole <laughs> song about being in the room where it happens. And so that was sort of my second kind of career uh, mantra or, or strategy for myself was how can I be in those rooms, whether it's where the actual deal is going on, or yeah. it's sitting with city council as they're debating uh, policy change, or it's getting in front of the mayor or other kind of prominent people in Philadelphia to be able to share my perspective and provide insight and value to them. So that was my second focus. No, yeah, that, I love that being in the room, you know, because if you're not in the room, you miss it. But it's really also the learning that comes from being in the room where it's happening. So, you know, I acknowledged, you know, what I started in the in the business, I thought you flipped a light on and the building operated and everybody in property management or facilities engineering or, you know, operations is going to laugh when they hear that, because that's frankly a really um, ignorant thing, right? But if I didn't get into the room where it happened, I was never going to learn about how transactions are capitalized or what investor clients are looking for, or, you know, how architects interact with tenants, all of that I have picked up by being in the room where it's happening. Got it. You talked about how, you know, you're creating your own content and writing your own story. You shared something on social media about some content and really gave gave some opinions and thought process. And it was all in reference to some shoes that you were wearing. And I would love to discuss this story and how this post came about because this post on LinkedIn received a lot of traction. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> I um, the other thing that I would say that maybe is an evolution of me as a professional is I was really a kind of self-described nerd when I started in the business. And I got so nervous coming from nonprofit to, you know, a, a very hard charging sales environment, you know, that my wardrobe wasn't going to cut it. So when I started at JLL a long time ago, I went out and I'll just say it, I plopped down, you know, $5,000 that I really didn't have at the time to yeah. basically buy a wardrobe. And the thing that was really important to me was that I never felt unconfident 
because of something that I was wearing, like I didn't fit in, or the clothes didn't fit right, or I didn't look like I belonged there. And you know, what a luxury, you know, to be able to even put that on your credit card, right? right. You know, I guess I spent my savings at the time. But you know, <laughs> that's a luxury um, yeah. for anybody. So my clothes um, often became a subject of conversation, because not because they were so loud or out there when I first started, they were in fact, very, um, very muted. <laughs> but because I was the only skirt in the room, right? Yeah. Um, or the only dress in the room, or like the only person that had a bow on in the room. So naturally, you stick out. And over the course of my time, kind of giving a lot of public presentations, I would often then think about, you know, had I been photographed in this dress before, like, did this ensemble appear in the press previously. So then I kind of started focusing on, you know, what I wanted to wear, what I knew I might, you know, be in a press environment or a public environment that people would be taking photos. So then it came- God forbid you wear the same outfit twice, right? I mean, forget about it. <laughs> we cannot have, it's like when you go to a wedding, you're like, I can't wear the same dress to every single wedding because every single picture I'm in the same dress. So I definitely get most people don't have that problem with, you know, press environments when they're trying to up their wardrobe game. So it's definitely something extra that you have to think about when you're in the public sector and, you know, being seen. I mean, I can't imagine. Think about Vanna White. She can't ever wear the same dress and she tapes she like five to seven episodes of Wheel of Fortune every day. I mean, she probably spends like 5000 a week on her wardrobe. I mean, talk about dress to impress. <laughs> I mean, I hope that Wheel of Fortune is paying for her dresses or yes. I hope that she's getting a commission, right? Because like that's a lot of clothing. But this is a standard that's applied to women that, you know, for example, you know, the very classic like navy white suit, right? Navy, navy suit with a, you know, white shirt and maybe a red tie. Like nobody really notices if men wear that twice. But let me tell you, when I have worn, you know, one of my pink dresses more than once, people have come in. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, I saw that last time. Oh, right. Yeah. Especially when it's a bright color or, you know, really, you know, I have these leopard shoes that I wear everyone and every time I wear them it's like oh you got your leopard shoes on and it's like yeah okay yeah <laughs> I got my leopard shoes on and it's great to be noticed and you know being the only woman in the room sometimes you know provides some amount of attention or at least sort of like oh like what's she doing here so it does cut a little bit both ways but you know when you are in when you're being photographed specifically like that's when it gets to be um i think a little bit more kind of like oh like she's wearing the same thing twice right um so anyway um as time has gone on here you know this kind of dress thing has kind of morphed into a shoe thing and i started to wear i found these pair of hot pink satin four inch ted baker pump oh yes <laughs> yes <laughs> As as uh, as people as little girls say today, slay queen. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I, and and by the way, you know, this is also sort of like in rebellion to the fact that like my mother was a podiatrist, right? So like anytime I would wear heels, I would get scolded for ruining my feet. So there's lots of rebellion going on across <laughs> the board here. <laughs> Listen, I I can be a true testament. I wore heels like 
probably for 15 years straight, and uh, I just had to have foot surgery. So there's that. <laughs> she wasn't necessarily wrong, but there's, then there's the fashion, right? Right, right. You got to look good. Like, I can't wear flats with a dress. I can't. You just can't. So I get you. Okay, sorry. I got a little sidetracked, but I got really excited with those shoes. Don't worry. Well, and, and by the way, like when you're sub size four, like me, you know, if you're not wearing shoes with your dress, that's like hitting below the knee or hitting at the knee, because you've got to be professional, your legs right. look really short. So like, yep. anyway, it's also just sort of a, a length management strategy. Let's put it that way. A length management strategy. Okay. I like that. I'm going to have to, because I'm five, two and three quarters. I like to say I'm five, three, but not really. So I'll have to keep that in mind for sure. Yeah. So there's a reason for it. Right. So, so anyway, I, I started wearing these shoes and, you know, when COVID hit, all of my public presentations kind of got shut down. And that was a really big part of my kind of personal brand. Like the thing that I really love to do is give lectures and sit on panels and provide market commentary. And it's, you know, to your point at the top of the, of the conversation, that's, you know, how a lot of people have gotten to know me is by these kind of public forums. And so um, when I was going on stage to give a keynote presentation for an organization called the Society of uh, Industrial and Office Realtors, um, a couple of, like God, I don't know what, maybe around July of last year, it was my first presentation back in front of an audience since the start of COVID. So it was, you know, call it July, 2021. Uh, yeah, I'd done Zoom things, but not live things. And this was a room of like three, 300 people, I would say. And I got on stage and I was so overwhelmed just by like the joy of being back in front of an audience as a performer, right? I'm a, a theater yeah, kid. Of course. Uh, <laughs> that I said to everybody, hey, everybody, the shoes are back on the road and happy to be here. Referencing my hot pink Ted Baker's. And the room erupts in applause and people are like cheering and like so excited, you know, to <laughs> see the awesome. shoes. Yeah. And that's when I realized the shoes had a life of their own. Yep. And so I was like, God, I texted my friend. I was like, God, I got to like get some more pairs of these pink shoes. Like I'm going to wear these out really fast. So I, over the last like six, nine months have been acquiring hot pink shoes in other like styles and, you know, yeah. formats, including awesome. a pair of hot pink, um, like l short boots. Right. So they're probably like mid, not even mid calf boots so that I would have, you know, appropriate hot pink shoes for the winter time. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> So, you know, flash forward to this panel that I'm doing uh, a couple of months ago, and, you know, it's a panel of, I'd say, maybe five, six people, and it was about life sciences, real estate in Philadelphia, and included a couple people I knew and a couple people I didn't know, um, including a gentleman who is a broker in this space. And, you know, we open the panel, I'm wearing the shoes, everybody introduces themselves, and in the middle of the panel... This guy looks at me after I'd finished some commentary. And by the way, I'm very self-conscious about talking too much. You can probably, you know, even tell on this podcast <laughs> just to try to make space for their people. Cause I'm like, Oh God, I know I have a lot to say. And in the middle of this panel, when I've already like, you know, stopped my comments, allowed other people to talk out of nowhere, he goes, Lauren, I call foul on those shoes. What? In front of like, you know, four or 500 people. I call foul on those shoes. Okay. All right. So, and all these questions went through my mind, which is part of what I wrote about, you know, kind of in this post that you noticed, which is um, essentially, oh my God, am I dressed too sexy? And I went through like what I was wearing in my head and I had like sleeves that were up to my wrists 
and I had tights on my legs and I had a dress that was up to my neck. And then I was like, okay, you know, these shoes are fine. They're covering my feet. They're not strappy. They're not whatever. I was like, no, I'm not dressed too sexy. Then I was like, am I talking too much? And I was like, no, I just did all of these things. And I was like, why is he threatened? And I was like, I have no idea. I am like really behaving myself on this panel and I'm really dressed the way that I should be. And I'm being a professional. And, you know, all these things like go through your head super duper fast. And so, you know, there's many things that I could have come back with, I guess, but like, it's so hard to rebut something that stunned you. Yeah. So I think I said to him, essentially, well, that's funny. You know, the last time I wore these shoes, they got a round of applause and a bunch of cheers. And then every woman in the room started to cheer. Oh, my God. I don't, I don't, I don't even really know what to say. <laughs> I mean, it, it's just, it's a terrible thing that A, you got called out for it and B, all those things that ran through your mind after, you know, am I doing something wrong? What did I do wrong? Am I dressed? Like you have to second guess everything that you did. Why? Why do you have to second guess everything that you did? That's the exhaustion factor, right? You know, I mean, I could tell you all of the, you know, truly like, unacceptable things that have definitively happened to me in the industry. But, you know, this is one of those things that some people might put into the bucket of microaggressions that really is what makes working while female in the industry challenging is because it's like, I'm sitting here going, oh my God, I've done something wrong, right? In the midst of like a room of hundreds of people trying to figure out where I screwed up. And like this guy doesn't even have any awareness of how what he said is impacting me, how it's impacting me um, or why it might not be appropriate. Right. Listen, we've come a long way. There's been a ton of strides, you know, everything in the workplace, you know, women in the workplace have made significant movement, but there still is a lot of room for, you know, comments like that. And it's unfortunate. And I'm glad that you handled it the way that you did. And then you took it to LinkedIn and you posted about it. And tell me about the feedback and response you've gotten from that. Well, first of all, you know, I have never experienced a response like that before. Um, I think over 65,000 people have viewed it. Uh, there's a couple hundred, you know, comments on it. There's a couple hundred likes on it on LinkedIn. Um, you know, and what was interesting is if you read both the public comments and then, you know, what I received on the back end to my email and my professional email and my LinkedIn was just so many people, uh, women specifically, you know, who commented that, you know, in certain stages of their careers, you know, for example, one young female architect said that a professor of hers, you know, commented that, you know, your architecture is okay, but, you know, your dress is even better. Um, and just Whoa. so many people. <laughs> yeah. I can't. Uh-huh. Wow. Mm-hmm. I mean, so many people who commented like, you know, oh, I used to wear shoes and, you know, like that. And then I didn't because of these comments or like, oh, you know, we need to start, you know, uh, a women's networking group or, you know, an advocates or allies group, you know, or just sharing, you know, other things that have happened to them that were, were similar. And really, you know, I think kind of going back to the beginning of the conversation, it's like, I've often said that like everybody's for women in the workplace until they feel that their prominence in the workplace is threatened, right? And, you know, these kinds of comments just serve as a distraction to the actual work of what we're all here to do in our respective organizations and careers. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's it's so important and it's unfortunate that we're still 
getting these comments, you know, with fashion in the workplace. And, you know, we have to make sure that we are dressing appropriately. And at another level, it's also about integrity, right? Like who I am feels like the most authentic expression of themselves in front of a group of people involves these satin pink stilettos right? Like that's who yeah. I am. And that's what feels right to me. And that's an expression like of my heart. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, one of my kind of key tenants of my work and, you know, conversations that I have as a professional, right. Is sort of around authenticity and being yourself, not just because it's sort of vital to, you know, one's mental health, but also because I really believe that it's the only way to build true long-term lasting relationships in business. Like until you have some level of vulnerability and until people believe that what they see is what they get, it's very hard for them to really build trust. And so even though my shoes might look like a fashion object or like a confidence hype thing for me, it's actually yeah. very much about my integrity. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Wow. Well, I really appreciate you telling that story because I'm sure so many women as you said, with your responses, you know, can kind of relate to something in some way, shape or form. And, you know, especially with styles and trends changing, you know, I mean, now we're back kind of to the 80s and 90s fashion wise, you know, with crop tops <laughs> and the mom jeans. And, you know, it's just that's how it is now. And but and by the way, like I would invite men to, you know, authentically express themselves through their fashion as well. Right. I mean, like yeah. I think that they think they don't have the runway to do that because there's expectations that, you know, the workplace and society have placed on them for how they should look. But I actually think it's sad that so many um, may feel that they cannot branch out from sort of the very classic workplace attire. And maybe we'll see this kind of evolve, you know, in the post COVID environment, as we all get back to the workplace, maybe it will just become more casual for everybody. But part of my, you know, wearing my shoes is also like, hey, guys, like you want to wear that pink tie or that polka dotted shirt or, you know, whatever it is, go for it. Go for yeah. it. Yep. Thank you again for coming on and sharing your story and your knowledge. And this clearly is not your first podcast interview. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been really wonderful to be here. And I love, you know, telling my story. And I really appreciate all of the kind ears today. So thank you for having me. Yes, thanks so much. And we will talk to you soon and, and be on the lookout for big things to come from Lauren. Oh, thank you. This podcast is sponsored by Single Throw Marketing, a Google Premier Partner digital agency. If you're looking to stay ahead of your competitors, check us out at singlethrow.com. Follow us on Instagram at The Conversation. Listen to us everywhere podcasts are found every other Wednesday.